going to start off this morning by reflecting on a couple weeks ago. We had our Giving Thanks Sunday, and uh, we were so encouraged to uh, hear about how thankful you all were. I think we have a slide, but you guys decided to give almost $3,000 to uh, these two great organizations, almost 2000 Yeah. Really, I was really blown away by that. And uh, those, I reached out to both of them, uh, Stable Days and uh, Love in Action, and they're super thrilled by your generosity. I expect that your generosity is going to lead to generosity being multiplied by the gifts that you give being, uh, causing those that they help to be thankful. Uh, gratitude, just as you gave that as a thank offering, or we gave those as a thank offering, that there'll be other gratitude that will be multiplied because of all that. So thanks for doing that, guys. That's amazing. I'm going to start off with a story about a little baby born in very humble circumstances. He's adopted by a kind and good and loving father. And when he came to age, he went on a journey, familiar journey to some of you, through the seven levels of the candy cane forest. And through the sea of the whirly, twirly gumdrops. And then he walked through the Lincoln Tunnel. That's right, it's Buddy the Elf. He was on a search for his biological father. He wanted to experience reconciliation. That's what he was hoping for. And if you watch the movie, or if you have this season, or if you plan to, there's lots of laughs. Things don't go right. In the end, Buddy makes peace with his dad. He helps his dad discover the Chris, his own Christmas spirit. Buddy finds true love as a side bonus. And he saves Christmas for the world. It's like the story of every great Christmas movie or show, right? In, a, in an essence, I think what many of those, uh, the Elf, the movie, and many other Christmas movies are really selling us is they're selling us, or, or they're picturing, actually, I don't say that they're selling it. I think why it appeals to us is they give us a picture of what the Bible calls shalom, which is the Old Testament word for peace, which isn't just the absence of conflict. It's really the setting of all things to be made right in the world. Um, I'm reading uh, on the Bible app a, uh, from the Bible Project. I mentioned it last week. I'll probably mention it each week, um, uh, an Advent devotional, and they start off the week with a video about each of the key words that we're studying, actually. I didn't know this when, they, when I started this, when we planned this series out, but it's been a bonus. Um, this is what I learned from the Bible Project this week about peace. Um, in Hebrew, it means to a complete or a whole. So if you think about making something whole, um, they, they, the picture that uh, the Bible Project video had was like of a brick wall. If you can imagine a few bricks missing, putting those bricks in completes it, shaloms the wall. It was incomplete and now it's complete. It can refer to something that's really complex, has many pieces, and is brought to a state of completeness. Think about your life. Is your life complex? Does it have lots of different aspects to it? Shalom can be bringing restoration to all aspects of life. It can also have the implication of reconciling or healing something that's broken, in particular relationship. There's several verses in the Old Testament that talk about how shalom brings peace to a relationship, even between enemies. And uh, I think probably a great phrase uh, that I think 
uh, encapsulates shalom is, is true peace is restoring what's broken to wholeness. So, Buddy the Elf, everything gets restored to wholeness. Him and his dad get, are, are restored to wholeness. He finds true love. He's got a family that's restored to wholeness. And all of Christmas for all of humanity is restored forever. It's kind of what stories like that are just a glimmer of. Uh, what we're going to look at this morning is Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. We're going to really camp out in verses 6 and 7. And we sing uh, the ver- the many of much of the verses this morning already that we're going to be focusing on. But I'll read Isaiah 9, 1 through 6, and then we'll slow down phrase by phrase through the rest of 6 and 7. Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan, and to Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing spoils, for you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian. For every trampling boot of battle and the bloodied garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire, for a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders." This is from the book of Isaiah. It's one of the Old Testament prophets. Isaiah has a handful of messianic prophecies in it. This is one of them. I think we'll look at another one later on, next week or the week after. But I want you to focus on, (coughs) excuse me, I want you to focus on the first phrase, if you could put it in there, verse 6, if you could leave that up there. Um, Angie, for to us, previous to that. There you go. For a child will be born for us. For us. A son will be given to us. It's for us. That's what this is about. It's for us. It's to us. It really starts in an unexpected way. Um, If you read through Isaiah, the first part there of 2 through 5, you wouldn't really expect after talking about war and the oppressive yoke, that the answer is going to be a child. Isn't that funny? It's not what I would expect. This morning we're going to look at these phrases. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father or everlasting father, and prince of peace. The coming of peace is the coming of, first of all, wonderful, he'll be called wonderful counselor, the coming of a counselor who brings comfort, counsel, and clarity, and wholeness. If you want a good counselor, if you need some counsel, like professional counseling, <clears throat> by far, all of the studies will say there's not a necessarily a, a method or a strategy or a theory or an outlook of counseling or an intervention that's going to help you, but by far the thing that will help you most This is like when they do studies, and then they do studies of studies. (coughs) Excuse me. It's called a meta-study or a meta-analysis. So 
those big studies that study all the studies, what is most helpful in counseling? Almost always at the top of every list, is, it's called the therapeutic alliance. What that means is the client-counselor relationship is the most important thing. Being able to have a trusting relationship with your counselor. We have the wonderful counselor offered to us uh, to be the one who helps us. And I'll look at, look at verse... Uh, Isaiah 26.3 says, You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Perfect peace comes to those who trust in the wonderful counselor. Earlier in Isaiah 26, or in, in Isaiah 9.3, we read this, the, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. Part of what a counselor does is to illuminate the darkness, to help us figure things out that we don't have figured out. That's what this wonderful counselor offers to us to give us clarity. The coming of peace as a person in Jesus is the coming of a counselor who brings shalom or offers to bring shalom to our lives. The wonderful counselor. Have, have you guys heard of this kint, kintsugi, Japanese art? You have a picture of it. It's really beautiful. Start out with a beautiful bowl or other ceramic, and then you break it, shatter it on purpose for these art, art scenes. But then what, what you do is you, you take lacquer and you mix it with a precious powdered precious metal like gold or silver or platinum, and you put it all back together. And it makes this broken thing even more beautiful which is really what the wonderful counselor offers to do in bringing shalom to our lives. It doesn't, doesn't erase the fact that there's been brokenness, but we can experience healing and hope through him and restore our brokenness in beautiful ways. So first of all, he'll be called wonderful counselor. Secondly, mighty God. The coming of peace is the coming of a powerful God who uses strength his strength to bring freedom and wholeness. Oftentimes when we think about power, we're not usually thinking about it in a good way necessarily. But this baby that came, I'm sure Jesus was cute and cuddly. I'm sure mama, his mama really enjoyed snuggling him. But he wasn't just a cute baby. He was mighty God in the flesh. Read Isaiah 9, 4 and 5 again. It says, For you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of the oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian. That's talking about the day of Midian is the day when Israel went to battle. God called Gideon, and he kept making his army smaller and smaller, and he ended up winning an incredible victory. It's like 300 men against tens of thousands. For every trampling boot of battle and the bloodied garments of war will be burned as fuel for fire. What, what the powerful Almighty God is going to do is he's going to use his power to bring peace, an end to war. Freedom to the oppressed. So the coming of peace is, first of all, the wonderful counselor, and secondly, it's coming of a mighty God who has power to bring peace. He's not going to crush the enemy. He's going to bring peace and free those who've been oppressed by the enemy. 
Now, I'm going to talk to some of you dads or moms who've served as a coach to youth soccer or, or youth sports. By the way, I'm going to, I'm going to share a little bit, of, a few tips, okay? Um, this is connected to the next point, which is eternal father. This is from the Soccer Parenting Association, which is, there's such a thing in case you know. I had to retire from being a soccer coach um, for purposes I'm not going to share because that's not relevant this morning. <clears throat> Here's the first tip. Don't play favorites. It's a good tip, by the way. Don't play favorites with your kid or somebody else. Tip number two, don't only praise your own kid. And probably I would add, don't only criticize your own kid. They need both. Help them get better. Praise them when they're good. Thirdly, don't fall prey to confirmation bias. You know what that is? Your first practice, your coaching, you watch the kids run around, you go like, that kid's going to be a goal scorer. He should be starting up front every time. That kid's, uh, we're going to have to work him in because he's on the team, but I'm not really sure. And then confirmation bias is that since you had that first opinion, that, that you confirm your bias throughout the rest of the time. Don't do that. Let their everyday performance, this, by this isn't mine, this is the Soccer Parenting Association. And then thirdly, don't focus on the scoreboard or a team's record. Uh, in five years, no one's going to remember what youth sports scores were. You know, if you played youth sports, you might have one or two memories that are specific that you can remember doing something on the field, like an end result. But really, it doesn't end. What, the, what we really should encourage is being focused on character, growth, and effort. Not on performance, success, and failure. Interestingly, I think that's what our Heavenly Father would really want us to focus on as well, especially on that last one. He wouldn't want us to focus on our performance or our lack of performance, our success or our lack of failure. What he really wants us to do is grow and to experience putting effort into growing and to develop our character and our hearts. It's interesting. The son who comes, who's given to us, and he's for us, he's called Wonderful Counselor. He's called Mighty God. He's called Everlasting Father. Of course, if you're a believer, you know the Bible, this is uh, there's the Trinity, Father and Son and Holy Spirit. The word Trinity isn't used in the Scriptures, but it's all over there because we see God referred to as God as God the Father. We see God referred to as God the Son. We see God referred to as God the Spirit. Now, this isn't saying that Jesus is the Father and the Father is Jesus. It's not what it's saying. Although, in a sense, in the sense of the Trinity, God is three in one always. But what, it, what it's kind of saying is that this this son who's going to be given is going to have the qualities. It's going to be just like his dad. That makes sense, right? Jesus is going to be like his dad, the father. The everlasting father. So here's what a perfect father would do. The coming of peace is this. A perfect father who tenderly embraces you and works for your flourishing. So... If you, were, if you were a good soccer coach, you would work towards helping all of those kids flourish and grow and thrive in character and effort. God does that in all areas of our life. That's his heart towards us. He doesn't want us to just feel good about us, just feeling good about us. He actually wants us to f- fully flourish, and so that means sometimes we have to receive some, some criticism. We have to get some feedback to grow and to thrive. Now, there's no earthly father that's been perfect ever. There's never been one. There's never been a perfect dad. There's never going to be a perfect dad. Every dad makes mistakes. Dads cause pain. 
They cause wounding, some of them deeply. Some can cause lifelong damage, but not so in the coming of the peace as a person. The everlasting Father, the eternal Father, is always a good and perfect dad. Look at this in verse 3 of Isaiah chapter 9. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time and as they rejoice in dividing spoils. It's a picture of flourishing. It's what dads want for their kids. Good dads want for their kids. It's what the everlasting father wants for his kids. He wants them to experience flourishing. The coming of peace is the coming of one who, like a perfect, never-changing, and always-present father, encourages and works towards your growth, your flourishing, and your joy. <clears throat> Lastly, verse nine, verse six, chapter 9, verse 6 says this. He's going to be called the Prince of Peace. The coming of peace is the coming of a ruler of shalom in an ever-expanding kingdom of shalom. And I'm going to use the word shalom because in our minds, peace is sort of like not fighting. That's how we usually think about it. But this is deeper and richer. This is like when, when the angels came, we'll probably hear the kids quote this verse next Sunday afternoon. Luke 2.15. You could probably quote it with me. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill to men. Or, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. The angels were saying, in essence, Isaiah 9, 6 just happened. Peace came to earth as a baby. And that's why they were singing, glory to God in the highest. This person of peace, this prince of peace has come. Verse 7 of Isaiah 9, 6, the very next verse right after the prince of peace, says this. The dominion will be vast, and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. It's being described as that this king, this prince of peace, this ruler of shalom is going to develop a kingdom of shalom that's going to be ever-expanding. You know, there are about two billion people who claim the name of Christ in the world today. Two billion. It's a really, I don't know where you get your news, but about two billion people in the world, it's the largest, one single largest uh, religion in the whole world is Christianity. Do we know all of those who are faithfully following Jesus or those who, like many in our country, just take the name of Christian on their hat? We don't really know exactly, but that they name, Christ, that they name Christ as the one that they would is pretty astounding. And in certain parts of the world, especially in the southern and eastern hemispheres, actually, the gospel of Christianity is flourishing, and there are people coming to Christ like crazy and churches being planted like crazy. We just don't get that in our news. The expanding of this kingdom is empowered, as the last phrase of that verse says, the zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish that. It's empowered by the enthusiastic passion of God. That's why the kingdom keeps expanding. The happy enthusiasm of the kingdom of peace spreading far and wide. So here's the problem with the story of Buddy the Elf, or others like it. They promise the kingdom of Shalom without the king. Of Shalom. That's what they lack. 
And actually, that's kind of what we want. We kind of want all the benefits of the kingdom without having to bow our knee to the one who sets up the kingdom. It's kind of what we want. We kind of want to be our own king, but get all the benefits of the shalom that only Jesus can bring. We want to separate the kingdom of shalom from the king of shalom. doesn't work. When Jesus came as the prince of peace, he came to be peace personified. And he came to be that prince of peace, that ruler of shalom. To us a child is born, to us a son is given, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The question is, will you receive him as your Prince of Peace, your King of Shalom, your ruler? That's really what we're asked in this verse. Advent is the coming of peace as a person. The person who is peace, Jesus, who is peace, came into this world. Jesus came in this world as a Prince of Peace, and he offers healing, which is Shalom, He offers restoration. He offers wholeness to everyone who's willing to come under his rule. So I want you to take a minute right now and think about where in your life do you not have peace? Let's try to think of it. Where do you not have peace? Where do you lack wholeness? Where is there fear? Where is there brokenness in your life or in your realm, your circle? Where is there unrest? Where do you have a need for healing or restoration? Just take a minute and think about it. And then we're going to offer it up to him, if you're willing to submit that to him and ask him to be the one who will bring peace. So just take a minute and think about it. Where do you not have peace? Where do you not have wholeness? Where do you need restoration? Where is there brokenness that you want to be made whole. Worship team, if you want to come up here and we'll sing, we'll sing a closing song, but I will, uh, let, let's submit these to God. Let, let's bring underneath the rulership of the Prince of Shalom. That's what, He came to set up a kingdom of Shalom, a peace. He wants you and I to experience peace. So I want you to, this is going to be a little weird because we don't do this very often. I want you to go like this. Put your hands out like this. Like, I'm going to receive something from someone good. And I want you to think, as I pray, of that thing or that area where you don't have peace, where there's brokenness, where there needs to be restoration, where you need to be wholeness. And I want you to think about Jesus coming. You're going you're to submit that to Jesus, who's the Prince of Peace, the ruler of Shalom. And then you're going to receive from him his peace his restoration, his healing in that area of your life. And then we'll sing closing song. Jesus, thank you for coming as the Prince of Peace. Thanks for coming as the wonderful counselor, as the mighty God, as the everlasting Father. And we we bring these things before you, God, these things where we're not at rest, these areas where we aren't experiencing peace, where we lack wholeness, where we experience brokenness rather than healing, and we put them under your rule. You are the ruler of peace. You are the prince of peace. You came to set up a kingdom of peace, and we bring these areas under your peace. God, 
We want to receive. We choose right now to receive your peace. Pour out your peace into our lives this morning. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.